Well, I'm glad you guys are here today because I want to tell you about the first sermon I ever preached. It was bad. No, really bad. And yet somehow it worked. Um, so my parents are here, Dave and Lisa Wolf. You guys want to raise your hands? Thank you guys for being here. Support me in this. And they both had come to faith um, in their teenage years. Um, and they raised myself and my siblings to know Jesus. They brought us to church. They had the, the perfect balance of um, you don't have to go to church. It's not forced on you, but you have to go. You know what I'm talking about? Parents, that's a little bonus point for you. And so we went, and I, I began to hear and believe the word of God as it was told to me. I believed the story about Jesus and believed in him and put my faith in Jesus Christ when I was just seven. Fast forward a few years later when I was 13, I went with our youth group to a youth, big national youth conference. And before I had gone to this conference, I had read a biography of a medical missionary to the African nation of Gabon. And this medical missionary had incredible stories. I mean, he was seeing people miraculously healed of diseases that should have killed them, snake bites and people surviving and um, entire villages coming to faith. And I was just wowed, like, wow, this is like the Bible. I mean, this is like the stories that you read in the book of Acts. And yet somehow I was like, well, I don't really see that here. You know, what's going on? But what was amazing is that I went to this youth conference when I was 13, and one of the keynote speakers was that missionary. I didn't know, and then all of a sudden I was like, I just read your book. (laughs) Recognize your name. And as he spoke, I don't even remember necessarily the passage he preached from, from the Bible, but at the end of it, he gave a call, an invitation to anyone. He said, if anyone here, teenagers, feel the call of God on their life, I want you to say yes. And I felt God tug on my heart. That God was saying to me, I want you to preach my word. And I kind of kept it to myself because I was like, am I crazy? Right? I kept it to myself for quite a while and I eventually kind of slipped it out and let people know. And then uh, our tiny church in Colorado Springs were crazy enough to say, hey, why don't you preach? And it was bad. Right? I, w- I was 16 years old, and I remember, I was like, okay, i got to preach on something. So I decided I wanted to preach on encouragement. So what I did, I took my dad's concordance, and it has basically every verse in the whole Bible that uses a word. So I looked up the word encourage. And I looked up every verse in the entire Bible that said encourage, and I studied all of them, and I prepared this message. And I remember getting in front, up in front of this tiny congregation, and I said, okay, I'm going to give a message today on encouragement. And I'm going to start in the beginning of the Old Testament and go to the end of the New Testament. (laughs) And there was one man, I remember in the second row, who laughed even louder than you all just did. So he thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. And it went downhill from there. It, It was not a good message. It was not eloquent. It was not all the things that I had thought in my head and imagined it could be. Um, I could see even then that everyone's eyes were glazing over. And I knew that you were supposed to give an application and a message. So at the end of it, I said, okay, we talked about encouragement. So what I want you to do is this week, think of that one person who you need to encourage and write them a letter or a note or an email and and send it to them to encourage them. And then I kind of walked dejected off. And I felt uh, people were nice. They were kind, but everybody knew, right? Everybody knew it was terrible. And I thought, did I miss what God was telling me? Did I hear it wrong? And I remember just thinking, oh man, I don't know if, if I got it. <laughs> I don't have it. 
But then later that week, I got a letter in the mail. And it was from one of those women that had been at church on Sunday. And she sent it to me and said, Matt, I just want to encourage you. I don't know how she got it, but somehow, in, as she heard God's word preached and read, you know, as I was reading the scripture, she heard the application. And she encouraged me. I was like, wow, someone did what I told them to do. Somehow, God's word worked, even when it didn't make any sense that it should. And I learned something then that I've learned again and again and again and again and again. And I want you to learn as well. It's what we need to do. And not just me, but we all need to do is let the word do the work. We need to let God's word do the work. See, because God's word is powerful and it is strong and it does something in people's hearts. And when we let God's word work like that, it can do something even when we can't preach well. We're not eloquent. We haven't studied enough or we've studied too much. But somehow God works through his word. And I want to challenge you. And it's not just for me as a preacher. This is for all of you, whether it's in your own life. You've got to speak God's word maybe to yourself. Read it. Maybe it's in your family. How are you going to teach your kids? Let the word do the work in your families, in your businesses, in all your lives and in your own hearts. Let the word do the work. So if you've stumbled in here today, I, you know, I know it's a different service than we normally do, but we are in our series, A Light Has Dawned. And in this series, I was trying to figure out, maybe I should just do a separate message, but there is a great prophecy of Isaiah that I really wanted to preach and, and tell you guys about today. So it continues on our series because in this series we're looking at things that the prophet Isaiah wrote 600, 700 years before Jesus was ever born about him. And they were kind of looking forward to him. So today that's what we're going to do as well. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and look in Isaiah chapter 55. That's where we're going to be today. In Isaiah 55, and we're going to jump into the middle of this prophecy in verse 10. So if you follow along with me, let's start reading in verse 10. It says, As the rain and the snow... Come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Verse 11, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So we're going to just camp out on these two verses today, but I want you to notice back in verse 10 that God does what all effective communicators do. You know, this is one of the first things you learn as a preacher or as a communicator, is that you have to take these abstract concepts, these ideas, these beliefs, this theology, whatever it is, and it's abstract and it's hard to understand. So you've got to take it down and make it concrete, make it real for people in their lives. And that's exactly what God does in this passage. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. He says, I want you to think about something you do understand. And these people really would have understood it because they lived in an agricultural society. But we know it too in Colorado. Starting to snow here in Colorado, right? Up in the mountains you look and you see the snow-capped peaks. And you guys are getting excited because then it means, okay, time to spread the slopes, right? But God didn't just send snow so that you could snowboard, did he? But when the snow begins to accumulate inch after inch, foot after foot, all winter long, what does it do in the spring? Well, it begins to thaw. 
And the melt from that snow begins to form little streams, and the streams meet up and form rivers, and the rivers come down the mountains into the plains and water the fields of the farmer. And I spent six years, Melissa and I did, in Nebraska before coming back here where I was a pastor, and I got to know a little bit about the agriculture there. But that water that comes down from the mountains is there in the spring when the farmers are planting. And then all summer long, that water that has been in the mountains all winter is now watering these crops. And the crops grow, and in the fall, there's the harvest time. And you go out on your big old combines, and you harvest all of the wheat and the corn, and then they take that, send it to a dryer, they dry it, they send it to a processing plant, and the processing plant grinds that into flour, right? Isn't that what happens with the wheat? They grind it into flour, gets sent to a bakery, they make bread, and then you pick it up at the grocery store and eat it. That's what God is saying here. So he's saying, hey, just like there's snow, just like there's water, just like there's precipitation that I send, that has a purpose. And you see this cycle that it goes maybe slowly, seems to take forever, but this water goes into the soil eventually and becomes crops and then you eat it and this cycle continues where life is made. God says, in the same way, my word in verse 11, my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty. There's a purpose, not to give you physical life, but to give you spiritual life. Just like you need that water to make the crops, to make the food that you all eat, God is saying, you need my word, because my word has a purpose in your life. So you've got to learn to let the word do the work, because it always works. It always works. God says, I have a plan I have a purpose. I send it. It always accomplishes the purpose for which I have sent it. And it's a good purpose that you need to understand. You know, I always get people that are saying to me, Matt, I just wish God would speak to me. Maybe you've been there? Wish God would talk to me. And God does talk to us. You know, maybe you're like me and you sometimes have that tug on your heart. That's rare for me, but it happened when I was 13, right? You feel God leading you to something. Maybe even you hear an audible voice. Some people do. But the main primary way that God speaks to us is through his written word. See, we learn that God sent his Holy Spirit, and it says in First Peter, I'm sorry, in Second Peter, that God carried along the human authors who wrote this book. And this book isn't just one book, it's 66 books, written by dozens of different authors on three different continents in three different languages over a span of over 1,500 years. And there's poetry, there are songs, there's history, there are stories that are told, there's even love poetry in it. But all of it was written because God was speaking to us. He wanted us to have a record of it. That's why we have it. And this book is made up of those 66 books that God has sent us. And even though it has all those different authors, some of them were lowly peasants, some of them high kings, and everything in between, it all has one consistent message. It does not contradict, and it is without error. It's pretty amazing. And God sends us this so that we can drink from it. And it is perfect. It is perfect and amazing, and that's why we need to... Drink from it. We need to let the word do the work. I want to show you in Numbers twenty three nineteen, we read that God is not a human who lies like the rest of us or a mortal who changes his mind. When he says something, he will do it. He makes a promise. He will fulfill it. When God says something, he accomplishes it. His word always works. His word always works. You know, we don't really get this because we are humans. We lie. We exaggerate the truth. 
You know, sometimes we are completely deceived by people's words. Have you ever been there? Early on in our marriage, Melissa and I, I think we had gone on a honeymoon together, but it was that first year of marriage we decided to go on a getaway the first time, really. So we looked online, and we were reading the description of this perfect little cabin, this cottage getaway in Estes Park. Oh, it, the description made it look awesome. There was a fireplace. Oh, it was going to be warm. It was going to be beautiful. It was going to be awesome. We saw the pictures of it. Oh, it had a great view. But then we got there. You been there? And this great, beautiful cabin was actually a shack in the middle of a parking lot with buildings all around it. And it was, it was tiny, and we were trying to figure out where the heck did they take that picture that was on the website. Maybe if you stand at the very corner and lean out like this and put your camera out, you can maybe get a view of the mountains. And then we got inside, and we're like, okay, we're going to make the best of it. But then that fireplace turned into be the perfect place where all the freezing cold wind could come right down and freeze us out all night in that tiny little shed. It was not all it was promised to be, was it? Sometimes we get let down, and we get let down all the time by our words or the words of other people or the words we even tell to ourselves, this is how it's going to be. That isn't like that. But God's word never fails. It never returns empty. It always accomplishes the purpose for which God has planned for it. So we need to learn to let God's word do the work. Um, I, I think this is important for us because sometimes we say, well, this book is just so old. It was written at the, you know, the earliest things were written 2,000 years ago, and some go back 3,000, 4,000 years. Oh my gosh, it's so old. Does it even apply today? We live in a different world. We feel that way, but here's the thing. God's word is still alive. It tells us that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We read, God's word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us, where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones, and it judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. This word is alive, even to this day, because God's spirit works in a miraculous way, every time you read or hear or memorize God's Word. It's God's Spirit working in His Word. And it's an amazing thing. And this tells us one of the ways that God's Word works. It convicts us. You ever been there? You think everything is good and then you hear like a Bible verse, you hear a sermon, and you're like, uh-oh, I've got to change that. I've got this sin in my life. Or I need to start doing this and stop doing that. Have you ever been there? That's what God's word does. It somehow gets into our heart and challenges us. It convicts us even to the center of joints and bones, separating our soul and spirit because the whole, God's word somehow gets right into the middle of our heart. It is an amazing thing what God's word does. Sometimes it convicts us. Not too long ago, um, I was really angry at a person who had hurt me. And I was bitter, and I was ranting about this person, and, and Melissa, kind and loving, just listened to me, way more patient than I am, right? Listen to me, and, and kindly, at the end of it, she said, Matt, it sounds like you need to forgive that person. Oh, because right then I remembered Ephesians 4.32, just as God has forgiven you, so you must forgive others in Christ. Oh, because I knew that was God's word, that I needed to forgive. So God teaches us in his word. And I was like, you're totally right. It, it was hard, right? <laughs> Hurt because I wanted to keep ranting. I wanted to be angry, but I needed to forgive that person. Because that's what God's word does to us. It convicts us. It changes us. It challenges us. It sharpens us. 
to be the people we are supposed to be. It always accomplishes the purpose that God has for it. It always accomplishes that purpose. So what I want to challenge you guys to do is think that metaphor that God used, that perfect illustration, right, of the water coming down. It always works. I want you to think, okay, it's time for me to build a dam as a reservoir, not to avoid the river, okay, because sometimes we build it so we can avoid God's word, right? I think the devil wants nothing less than to get us as far away from God's word as possible because God's word works. He knows if he keeps you busy and exhausted and working all the time, you're going to go on Saturday night thinking, man, I just need to sleep in. God loves me. He's okay if I sleep in tomorrow, right? To avoid hearing the word preached. Or, or we're like, January 1st, I'm going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to start and I'm going to get my Bible plan on my Version app. And then you wake up that first morning, January 1st, and you have a notification. So, what did that person say about me on Facebook? You get on there and you spend an hour and all of a sudden you're at work and then the day is over and then it's January 10th and you realize, I haven't read the Bible one time. Been there? We've all been there. Because God is doing whatever, or I mean, the devil is doing whatever he can to get us away from God's word. Saying, oh yeah, keep that water over there. You don't need it. You're okay over here. We get so busy, we get so distracted. But here's the amazing thing. I, I love the technology we have. Yes, it can very easily distract us. But here's what you could do with your smartphone. Just talk to it. Say, hey, Siri. And somebody's phone is going to go off probably right now. (laughs) Set a notification so every Sunday morning my alarm goes off at 8 a.m. I'm going to be at church then, right? You don't even have to remember to set your alarm. Or, hey, I'm going to start this Bible reading plan in the Bible app, and I'm going to set it so the notification I get is read this thing first thing in the morning. The notification, 6 a.m. Well, time to read, right? And then you can join with a group of friends. You can have other friends that see if you're reading or not because you have to check the thing. And, and this is a great... We have incredible technology. You can get a podcast app, so make sure that, of course, you subscribe to Stapleton Church's podcast. But maybe you could get some other ones like subscribe to Matt Chandler or Tim Keller. There's incredible preachers that you can get, and the sermon is sent right to you so you can hear God's word preached to you. Don't use that stuff to distract you. Don't build a dam to get away from the water, but build it so that you can have a reservoir so that again and again you can get into God's word and let it do the work in your heart. Now, I think we lie to ourselves when we say, well, I'm just you know, avoiding it because it, it doesn't really work. We say that. But I think the reason why we avoid God's word is because it does work. That's challenging. This is what Mark Twain said. He wasn't a believer. He said, most people are bothered by those passages in Scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, I always notice that the passage in Scripture which troubled me most are those which I do understand. It's challenging. God's Word challenges us. So we've got to drink from this water. It will challenge us, but it will also lift us up. It will sustain us in difficult times. It will give us peace in our times of chaos and trial. We need to learn to build that reservoir so we can drink again and again. You need eight glasses of water a day, right? Something like that. Probably aren't drinking enough water. We need that much of God's word. We should be taking it and talking about it with our families, with our kids, to ourselves, in our marriages, at our businesses, with our friends, at our community groups every week, because you guys are going to sign up for those in our new spring session starting in February. It's a great way to continue let God's word work in your own heart and in your family. And if you're like, well, Matt, but sometimes the Bible is so confusing. Or I've heard some sermons, Matt, that were just like that first sermon you preached. 
awful, boring, dull. I fell asleep. We've all been there too. And sometimes it does mean that this is just a really challenging passage. You read some things in the Bible like, what the heck does that mean? I don't know. Theologians have been working on it for centuries and they still don't know. We can keep studying, but, 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 we need to work hard to get there. We need to work hard because there are, there are some things where theologians can drown in God's word, but also that toddlers can wade. And we need to say, hey, maybe I just need to pay more attention. Maybe I need to take some notes on Sunday morning. Maybe I need to spend some time digging into the word and, and getting something to help me. Maybe I need to find a translation that's a little easier to read. You know, we are committed to this this idea that we want to make the Bible as transparent and clear as possible. You know, because sometimes it can get so obscured. And what we do is not change God's word. It is timeless. It is perfect. But we do want to take those truths that God taught us in his word and make them as clear and as present as possible. I, I do a preaching style called expository preaching. Who cares if you remember that word? But one simple way to remember it is that it exposes God's word. I'm taking this and making it accessible to you. I'm trying to make it as easy and simple as possible so that you can digest it, so that you can drink it and understand it. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, George Bernard Shaw once talked about this concept. He said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. You guys agree with that? And here's the thing, because communication is two-way. There's someone who speaks and another person who listens. So it could be both people. It could be that you're not paying attention, you're not focused, you're not listening. Or you're not reading and really trying to focus your thoughts on it. That could be. It could be that you're not understanding it. We come in the whole tradition of someone like John Wycliffe. I don't know if you've heard about him. There's a whole organization named after him today. But in the 13th century, 1300s, not 13th century, 1300s, he was like, we've got to take this God's word. We've got to make it accessible to people. So he wrote a translation of the Bible into English that he said even a plowboy could read. And that actually, interesting enough, I'm getting off a little bit, that became the KJV. And at the time, the KJV was the most easily understood Bible ever because ordinary people could read it. Today, if you read it, you're like, what the heck? It's because we're not Shakespeare, right? It's hard to read. So find a translation that translates it in a way you can understand. That's why I use the NIV. I think it's a great one that does that. At our church here, we are committed to a principle, and it's in our signature themes. We call it real and relevant. Real and relevant. And what we mean by that is that we want to take God's word. It's going to stay the same. It's true always. But we want to make it as real as possible for your life and as relevant for you as possible. We want to speak in a way you understand. Use metaphors. Use illustrations just like God did that his agricultural people understood. Oh, water, snow, crops, eating. Got it. You know, I want to use metaphors that you guys understand. And here's the thing. I want in my preaching to let the word do the work always. Because God's word is so awesome. That's what I try to do. I do throw in good stories. I do try to give you good analogies and illustrations. But all of that is to serve God's word. It's to make it come off the page and into your hearts. That's why I do that. That's why we're committed to that here. That's why Ariel Myers and our kids ministry, Sawyer Trap and student ministry on Wednesday nights, and Grant Ryder and our community groups, why, why we work so hard to make the truth of the Bible accessible to you so that you can drink it, so it can sustain you. Because it is a powerful thing. We need to let the word do the work. Let the word do the work. And here's the thing I know. You can get your news somewhere else. You can watch great stories every night on Netflix. But what I can do for you is give you the word of God. 
And that's what we are committed to as a church, to the Word of God. In fact, I'm commanded to do that. I want to show you this in 2 Timothy 4.2. We read, preach the Word. That's to a young pastor. Paul wrote it to the young pastor Timothy. I feel like it's right to me too. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Preach the Word. Don't preach the news. Don't preach the, the latest, greatest story you heard. No. Preach the Word. Yes, we do it with careful instruction. Yes, we do it with patience to help people along. But it's all about God's word that we are commanded to preach. There's another passage that's been really uh, instructive to me as a pastor, and it comes in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter writes, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Basically, everybody has different gifts. Everyone does, not just a pastor. But then he goes on and says... If anyone speaks, which is what I do a lot, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. I remember one of my mentors, right when I started as a pastor, texted me that verse, and it stayed with me ever since. The word worked in me. I'm like, yeah, this is my job, to let the word do the work. This is what I'm about, to expose God's word to you, to show it to you, so that you can see it in its beauty and its brilliance and its power and authority. And the reality is, in my ministry, like Paul has talked about, I have seen God do work, not just people uh, turn around and write an encouraging letter, but I've seen lives transformed. I've seen people overcome addictions. I've seen people, a couple that came into me on the brink of divorce, way past the brink of divorce, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no hope for them. But we read God's word together and somehow God knit them back together and now they're a shining example for other couples. And it's because of God's word doing the work. Lives are transformed by God's word. Our futures are changed. Our families' histories are, are changed forever because of the power of God's word. We need to let God's word do the work. We need to let God's word do the work. I know sometimes we say, well, Matt, but I don't know. It's hard to see. Well, because I know people who have heard the word preached and they're not believing. I, I've told, shared the gospel and they don't believe. It's been years. It was my own child that I shared the gospel with them. They raised in church and now they've walked away. Say, did God's word not work then? There is a mysterious quality to all of this. Right before the passage that we're looking at today is another famous verse from Isaiah 55. Do you know this? In verse 8, God said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And right then he goes on to our passage. I think God is prefacing all of this. I have a purpose. It's hidden. You may not see it or understand it right now, but my word always accomplishes it. Never returns empty. You might not understand. Somebody may have a really hard heart. You just haven't seen it come to fruition yet. God says, I know my thoughts are so higher than yours. You don't understand all the things I do, all the intricacies of every person's heart and mind, all seven billion people on the globe throughout all of history. I know it, God says. You may not. But trust me, because my word always works, he says. Let the word do the work. And, and it does. Let me tell you about another one of my failures. <laughs> I remember my first year as a pastor, I went into this church, and at the time there was like, everybody was over 60, right? And I really wanted to reach the young person. They brought in a young pastor to reach the young, the, the young people in the community. And I started a young man's Bible study. My first year as a pastor, I was so excited about it. I had these guys come in. And we were going through the book of the Bible and studying it and talking about it together. And it just seemed like it was going nowhere. And I remember after a few weeks, 
One night, there was only one man who showed up. Man, I just felt like a failure. What am I doing? Maybe I should have quit when I was 16. But we read the passage and talked about it. Me, the whole time, I probably had just like this dismayed look on my face. Like, what am I doing? Why did I move my wife here? But then at the end of our conversation, this man, this young guy said, Matt, I want to accept Christ. I said, what? (laughs) What did you hear? And I said, okay. I explained the gospel to him, and and we prayed together, and I led him in a simple prayer, and he accepted Christ. But what's even more amazing is that without my prompting, he started praying that his wife would accept Christ as well. And a few months later, she did. And both of them, I was able to baptize. And they started bringing their siblings to church, and their whole family ended up coming at one point or another. And through my time there, in their extended family, three people died in their family, and I was able to preach the gospel at three different funerals to hundreds of people. And I'm like, that was my worst night, right? And yet somehow the word works. It does. I want to challenge you with that. Even maybe you're like, it's been a lifetime I share the gospel with this person. Are they ever going to believe it? Just like snow goes in the mountains and it takes months and months before that water is into the ground and then into the crops and then into your belly. Sometimes it takes a very long time for God's word to work. But it always accomplishes the purpose that God has set out for it. Last year I met a guy, he's a pastor. His name's Robbie Gallaty. And I loved his story because he was like, I think either 6'6 six, six or 6'8, six, huge guy. Like MMA fighter type guy, right? He got a scholarship to a Christian school, except he wasn't a Christian. Freshman year of college. So he said, I was the target of everyone on campus, right? Everybody was trying to convert me. And he heard the gospel through all these people, heard the word of God, and, and he didn't believe. But years later, when he became a bouncer at a nightclub and then started dealing drugs and then found himself in federal prison, he remembered that word. And he accepted Christ there on his knees in a prison cell. And when he got out, he started going to church, went to school, and met this guy named David Platt. Maybe you've heard of him, kind of famous preacher. You can listen to him too. He's good. And got discipled by this guy, David Platt, and now he became a pastor of one of the the biggest churches in our country and has reached me through his books. He was teaching my class last year. And I'm like, wow, God's word worked. It might have taken years, but somehow it did. We need to let the word do the work. Now, none of you are probably thinking this, but, but I am. I'm like, well, how does this fit in with our uh, series, A Light Has Dawned? I thought this was all about Christ. Well, here's the thing. There are other religions in the world that have sacred books. There are other so-called scriptures in nearly every religion in the world. They're given through a prophet or written down by a divinely, divinely inspired person. It seems like every religion has a sacred book. But Christianity is the only religion where that word became flesh. In John 1.14, we're told, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the Word, it says, was with God in the beginning. The Word was God. When God spoke in Genesis 1.1 and the whole universe leapt into existence, that Word became a human being. 2,000 years ago, what Isaiah was prophesying, foretelling about, was that that word, this prophecy would be accomplished, that the Savior would come, the Messiah would be born to us, and he would be a lowly child when the word of God that spoke the universe into existence would become a helpless baby. 
that as we sang in the first song this morning, that the word became mute for us. And he lived among us as the perfect sermon illustration. This is God among us, God's word living out how we are supposed to live as a human being. Jesus was perfect, and we can look to him to learn about God's word even better than we ever could understand it ourselves. Jesus said, all the scriptures testify about me. It's all about him, and yet then again, the word became mute as he died on a cross. What Isaiah was talking about, his prophecies foretelling that word that would accomplish all things. And when we believe in that Jesus Christ, that is the gospel, and we know that through Jesus we can have forgiveness of sins, we can have eternal life, we can have a purpose to our life that we've never understood before, and a power through his word. And that is amazing because that Jesus did not stay mute. The word rose from the dead, conquering over death, sin, and the devil. And when I tell you that, your hearts are moved. It gets me every time. Because there's power in the word of God. We need to let the word do the work. Let's pray. God, uh, I know in my own life there are things that I haven't submitted fully to the word of God and I pray that you'd help me to do that. I pray that you'd help all of us sit under the authority of your word, God, because it is powerful. It shapes us. It convicts us. It lifts us up in dark times. It gives us a hope and a future. It always accomplishes the purpose you have set out for it. And I pray that we would learn to trust it, that we would let you do your thing, God. Let your spirit work through your word because it is alive and active. I pray that in our own hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our businesses, at work, here at church, in our community as we go out, Lord, let the word do the work. Let us trust you with that because it always accomplishes the purpose you set out for it. Lord, your word always works. So we're going to let it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.